Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nice to Meet You. This is your host, Simone, and this is a podcast of conversations with friends and strangers where we talk about life and lessons learned along the way. Today, I have for you a follow-up interview with a guest that you've met before. Please welcome Ronald back to the show. Ronald was on episode 55, Time Well Spent with Ronald. So, Ronald, how have you been? Uh, i hope your fans like insecure uh i'm good how are you i've been doing good i've been doing good how's your um quarantine been going uh i mean i can't really complain i mean i've I've gotten really used to it um i'm probably in the same place everybody else is just kind of hoping things are are uh wrapping up here soon but it doesn't look like that um from all the accounts that i'm hearing we're going to be in this for a little while longer. Um, and I think people really need to wrap their heads around that. And I think the problem is people keep making the assumption that we're going to get out within the next few months and they keep making plans. They keep trying to plan ahead for when we'll no longer be in the place that we're in. But I'm like, yo, y'all, everybody just needs to strap in and give up on 2020, man. Like if you had it planned in 2020, it's probably not happening and be surprised if it does. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, honestly, I've adjusted, I think, pretty well also. It's been giving me a lot of time to do different projects. Like today, um, since I took off a half day from work, I um, started trying to sew my own, like, pair of shorts just from, like, actual fabric. So that's been an interesting process today. Nice. Uh, I I feel like I've adjusted well as well. I feel like what they've been saying about um, – I've heard promising things about vaccines – uh, recently and like stuff and the way that they're doing vaccines now is completely different from before. So I, I don't think we'll be here long, but like you said, I've started to make adjustments that will, uh, that I think will set me up for success when this is over, because I think a lot of people aren't considering what they're going to change about their lives when this, when this all ends and it's not going to be the world that we enter after COVID is going to be, completely different from the world before they'll lay a lot of things that are familiar but a lot of things are going to be different so i'm like if there was ever a time to reinvent yourself learn a new skill pick up a new hobby join a new community now's the time to start you know laying that foundation so that when you uh when the world restarts you can just hit the ground running definitely i agree and like you know, if you had a plan before, this is the time to like actually like work it out and like rework it. Cause like, it's kind of like you get a second chance at your first plan, even though like you never had the first chance, you know, it's like a time to add different like elements to projects that you're already working on. Exactly. And now's the time. Now is exactly the time to do that. So hopefully people are taking advantage. Yeah. What's in store for, oh, it's Big Ron Studios. Uh, well, I've... Um, received an influx of Patreon subscriber subscribers, uh, who I'm calling the white guilt subscribers who are trying to help, uh, black creators, which I appreciate. Uh, and I appreciate, I appreciate every Patreon subscriber, but this influx, um, has felt timely. So I feel good about it. Um, I want to start doing a vlog, but uh, we'll see. I'm I, I'm looking at a camera that I want to get for it, but I want to make sure before I start doing it, I have some sort of uh, structure or, or kind of like a direction that I want to go uh, moving forward and not kind of just walk into it blindly. 
I also still have the same podcasts that I was doing before leaving the theater time well spent. And I want to keep, I mean, now I've, I've gotten to a place where I'm, I'm like editing a lot more now. I'm trying to get stuff out quicker and I'm trying to like be a little more disciplined in turning stuff around. So uh, I think that's part of what I want to be ready for when, when things start speeding up again, because I think it's in terms of the audio world, there's going to be a lot of people that need editors. There's going to be a lot of people that need stuff turned around quickly because I mean, people will have spent a lot of time separate and I don't know, some people are getting stuff done, but I think there's a lot of people in our world and in the uh, creative world generally that uh, find it difficult to get stuff done in this environment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of things that like have to happen in, in person and can't be translated to like virtual like events or anything, exactly. which is like very lucky for me at least. Like right now, being able to like, have these different apps to record on, and the fact that like I really only like need me to in order to record and like me and the other person it's pretty convenient yeah yeah it certainly makes it easier have you attended any virtual events uh yeah I've, all of my events have been virtual so uh i've been virtual church uh virtual birthday parties virtual baby shower um virtual happy hours uh yeah i've done it all virtual watching top chef um just anything that you could consider anything that we could have done in person that i can do on a screen has been done now i find that i'm getting a little fatigued with a lot of it now because i'm just not as interested in uh i think this moment in time has required us to be more social for longer now because we're using video so everyone's making the assumption that because you are available and in your house that you must want to be social. And I think that's the part that people need to wrap their heads around, which is, which is that just because I'm available doesn't mean that I want to see and talk to you. <laughs> that is something it's like when COVID first started, it was just like, well, you're just in the house. So like, you know, yeah. um, but one thing people have said, it makes it easier to leave plans. Oh, or absolutely. Absolutely. Like ignore them. <laughs> Yeah, I think, and that's one thing. So I, I feel like when this is all over, my whole thing is that I'm going to do all the things that I want to do, but I'm not going to do anything that I don't want to do. And I'm like, because time is just going to be too valuable then in terms of the people that I haven't seen, the people that I thought I would be able to see after this was over. And I mean, sorry, the people that I thought I'd be able to see before we went into this, that I, I kind of just wasted time being like, oh, I'll eventually see them. And then knowing that all this time is about the past. So it definitely makes me a little more stingy about my time after this is over. Yeah, I think that like the way that my time is going to change is definitely spending more time in the house and spending more time on the different hobbies that I've like been picking up kind of like photography, cooking, sewing, and like exploring those options of you know yeah options of spending my time i guess um but like exploring those crafts instead of just like being out because i don't know it just right now i think it's very easy to be like this is fun because it's like the only thing to do but like i just i guess i also hope that continues yeah i i agree i I definitely considered, I mean, I started looking at places to buy and I was like, uh, let me save up some more money first. But I, I definitely think that the idea of having a space that is that that you fit in and having a space that you're content with, I think is going to be important, which is why I'm like, uh, I think I need to in the next year move and get into a space that like really 
fits me. Right now, I've been in the same apartment I've been in for a long time, and I'm starting to outgrow the space a little bit with because of my hobbies and whatnot. And I'm like, well, what if I decide I never want to go back to uh, go back to work? Well, that makes me think that I'm going to have to really rethink what my home life looks like in a way that I that you wouldn't have I wouldn't have had to do before. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, even if you do, like, you know, keep your current job and have to do that. Even like, I don't know, like, have you like had any issues like adjusting tele- to telework or is that just always been like a normal thing for you? Uh, yeah, I've all like they, they've given us two days a week. And I, I funny, I switched roles where they're like, all right, now you can do three days a week. And then which got me and I'm like, OK, so all they did was add two more for this particular unit that I work with. That being said, I, I seriously look at them and say, OK, so now I don't have traffic and I don't have to worry about like a clothing budget to wear stuff to see you guys. So at this point, I'm very much um anti being in an office like i've i switched all the way to the other side i'm like i don't have to do any small talk i don't have to fool with none of y'all i just got to do my work and and that's it i'm like man that's i don't care about none of that all that other office politics stuff that's all dead it's like you only know me by my work and for some people that doesn't work for them uh for a lot of people that want, want to climb the ladder and all that stuff but i'm like i'm not interested in climbing the ladder at my corporate job so because of that it makes it it kind of makes a person like me dangerous uh, to be left to work from home because as long as I'm still producing work, I don't really care about any of the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that I'm like, I mean, I mean, honestly, I'm not that like social at work anyway. So like that didn't change for me as far as like talking to coworkers and stuff like that. But I do miss like having like a physical like space to leave like my house and go to work. I don't know. I, th- I just like, I've always been a person like, like that likes to separate like work and home. And it's like, when I'm off, I'm off. So it's like having work at home all the time. It's just, I don't know. It just, it, it works for some people. And for me, it's just, I don't know. I think for I like me, <laughs> I think for me to make that distinction, it was just, as long as I had a designated place where I do work, it, it puts me in work mode. And so my biggest problem was blurring the lines between like having my laptop on my couch, be like, yeah, I'm working from home. And being like, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like the way I'm feeling right now on my couch. But then I recently got a desk and I have a desk in my room and that's where I do all my podcast editing. And that's where I do my, like my daily work for like my corporate job. So it, it means that when I sit down at this desk, it's, it's very, it's very much a much more uh, a corporate feel at this desk, mm-hmm. but like for the rest of my house, it's cool. So that's why I'm like, I can't wait to get a bigger apartment because then I can have a room that I go to to do that. But I can understand what you're saying. And for you, I would propose something like you might be good in a, in a co-working space. You know what I mean? Where yeah. you're investing your money instead of in a commute or whatever, you're, you're just investing it to, you know, sit in an office and feel like you're doing stuff with other people uh, while still separating. Or, I mean, and hopefully when this is over, you'll be able to do stuff like go to a coffee shop and, and work there or, or, or whatever. But man, just the idea of having to be there, your boss sitting there, or oh, are you, what are you on Facebook? Oh my God. And like, I hate all that. I hate that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like micromanaging and things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it's just, sometimes there's just not enough work to even like be like that busy. There really isn't. Most of the jobs that we have do not require us to be at work all the time. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, I think there's plenty of jobs that require us to, uh, to you know, 
have at least five hours a day, you know, maybe five, maybe five to six hours a day, but there's, there's rarely jobs. And I feel, and I feel like, let me say it like this. There's probably rarely jobs that every single day you have to work a full eight hours. And I'm sure there's people listening to be like, well, my job does. And I'm like, I'm sure that's true. And I feel like everybody at every job has days where they just feel like they worked every one of those hours and then maybe even added a few to that. But I'm saying all jobs have downtime. And so when you average it all out, it feels like that downtime when you're in the office almost feels like you have to fill it like doing just looking busy or just seeming like you're doing something. Whereas at work at home, I don't have to have that pretense. I just work when I have work. And when I don't, that's when I relax a little bit. That's when I'm, oh, I'm going to go make some tea or I'm going to go I'm gonna play a little bit of Animal Crossing something. But it feels like we make up for that with all the work that we end up having to do uh, uh you know, when we have to work late or when there's a big thing due or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think that like five hours would be great. <laughs> I think, yeah, like most people probably five hours and then like the six hour could be overtime. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Uh, but Animal Crossing, I, I did want to ask you about that. I really am thinking about buying a Switch. Oh, yeah. And is it worth it? <laughs> I mean, I'm animal. I'm all. I feel like I'm all done with Animal Crossing now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just it it was fun and everybody played and there was a big rush and everyone enjoyed it when it came out. But now I'm playing it. And I'm like, I got all the stuff. I have all the things, and it's just like, are there going to be more updates? And you know, sometimes people visit me, but I'm just like, I don't. I, you got to a place in the game where like there's nowhere else you can go. There's not many more improvements I can make to my island, and mm-hmm. even the are stuff. Are you a that, time skipper? I don't skip time. Okay. Yeah. It's, it just felt like it's too much responsibility skipping time, you know? So yeah. now it's, it's an idea of like saying, I sure would love to play this game in the fall. You know, I played it in the spring and I've played it now. I'm playing it now in the summer, but I'm like, I'd love to see what this game looks like in the fall, but it's, I, I don't, I, I can see how people are doing this every day. It just doesn't seem like after you build your Island up, like then what do you do? Yeah. You know? Is it basically just like the Sims? Like you get really excited, like create something. And then once you like put it all together, it's just, okay, well now this kind of runs on its own. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. But see, I feel like with Sims, you could always, it's not hard for you to like knock it all down and start something new. Like with Animal Crossing, once you've built it all up, like I know people that have restarted the game from the beginning. And I'm just like, that is too much work. I mean, to go every day. And And I understand there's time skippers and stuff, but like playing with the Sims, it just feels like every day you go in and you can, I could build a whole thing in one day and, and then the next day build something new or save multiple worlds, all that, you know, there's, it just seems like I have a lot more options, uh, with, uh, the Sims than I do with something like, uh, with, with animal crossing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll have to like, yeah. Look into there's that other games thing. though. There's other games. Like the game I like to play is called, uh, it's called, uh, Splatoon, Splatoon 2 specifically, and it's a third-person shooting game where instead of shooting guns, you're a squid and you and you shoot ink, and you have to basically cover a whole map with your ink before the other team covers a map with their ink. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's not super violent like a lot of these shooter games are, and it feels like a shooter that was made for everyone, like not just for you know really good gamers. It's it's yeah. just like it's one for like that everyone can play even casually cool because that's the thing for me it's that i'm not like super into video games like at all 
So whenever I play a game, it's something like um, that's like, I guess, like role play, like characters, like movie based or something like that or something like Animal Crossing. So, yeah. Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you next about how do you feel about just like, I guess, the state of America right now, like outside of COVID and with all of, you know, like the protests and Black Lives Matter and everything going on? Uh, I mean, you know, because of COVID, I don't think we could have, if not for COVID, we couldn't have been in this moment. We couldn't have been in this moment that we're having right now, if not for everyone being sitting still in one place, kind of basically waiting for this to happen. So, and when I say this, I don't mean like this racial moment specifically, but we're all sitting still and we can all view the same something. Like whether it was like Tiger King in the beginning or whether it was Animal Crossing, uh, we were all seeing all of the posts on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We were seeing all the posts because we, we don't we don't have anywhere to be right now. So for us to sit in our house and see Ahmaud Arbery get shot by those two people in the street in the back of a truck, or to hear about Breonna Taylor or to see the Amy Cooper incident up in New York or to then see George Floyd be arrested to death. Uh, I mean, all of these things we're, we're sitting at the house and it's all happening at once. And all of the same things that we've done before, which is an outcry for justice, yelling, screaming, hashtags and protesting are all the same things that we've always done. The only difference is we had so much more time now. So, so many people could be outraged. So many people could get in the streets. So many people could like make their, their outrage known. And it feels like it's a really unpopular time to be silent because now everyone's just sitting still seeing how everyone's reacting to this, which is crazy because when we're all working and stuff, you had an excuse to not know what was going on, to not have seen the news and all of that. But now, I mean, you're going to see the news. You're going to see what's going on. So. I, I I'm not as optimistic as some uh, some white folks that I talk to, and it actually irritates me when white folks say that they're optimistic, because I can already see now that the uh, public perception and all that is starting to shift. Because oh, you know, they got Juneteenth now, and they got rid of Aunt Jemima, and Uncle Ben's on his way out too, and all these things are happening. You know, the tide is finally turning. And it's like no, these are all gestures. Like until you actually do things in big, wide sweeping reforms, like defunding the police, like uh, putting money in, in people's mental health, uh, like reparations for black people. Like I'm, And I know I'm saying like crazy big things, but until you start seeing stuff like that, you're not going to see this type of structural changes to systemic racism uh, that we expect to see. So I don't know. I mean, I'm happy that everyone's, you know, up in a tizzy right now, but I, I'm, wound up about this all the time so in a couple weeks when nobody cares about this anymore i'm still going to be like calling this stuff out and there's going to be a lot of us that are still calling this stuff out saying okay in the beginning of june y'all think y'all cared about this but now it's august y'all don't care about race no more you know what i mean yeah yeah and i definitely agree i'm happy that so many people are like finally kind of getting behind it but yeah like you were saying it, it just seems like I don't know, certain changes, it's like, yeah, that's definitely racist, should change, but it shouldn't be as much of a victory as, like, you know, like, it shouldn't be like, oh, we finally got him, like, the Antimama thing, it's like, yeah, that, yeah, that's small thing, you know, like, let's focus on what we actually need to change, like, the systemic, systemic changes that you were talking about. Yeah. 
I mean, let's hope that it gets done, but I don't know. And I, I guess that's why I'm so sick of white folks saying that, oh, I think this is the time. Cause I, at this point I'm like, what makes you think like you who has been ignoring this, this entire time or just being sad uh, or just being like, oh, that's so sad. And then moving on with your chicken dinner or whatever. Like what makes you think that you caring about it this time is what's going to make it change when you've done nothing in the past. If you can't yeah. answer that, then it's like, why do you think it would change then? <laughs> I I agree. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is a fair question to ask you, and I'm not what? sure how, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But I just wanted to like basically say like, just what is it like to be like a black man in America? Uh, like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's not a fair right? question like, to ask me. Who else would like, you ask? <laughs> I mean, because like it could mean so many different things. Like, is it too like broad? No, I mean it's. Or, yeah. I mean it's it's exactly as you would expect. It's it feels like I feel like like the only way to describe what it's like to be a black man in America is to consider how women feel every day, and <laughs> you and I are both black, so I think you already know the answer to the question of what it's like to be a black man in America. I think you know. Um, and I, and I, every time I think about women, when, when they think about black men, black men are always seen as a threat. And because of that, we often walk out into the streets in fear, trying to make ourselves smaller and more, you know, kind, kindly or engaging or, um, you know, just friendlier for the world. We try to soften our hard edges to make everyone around us feel safer and that's exhausting so i imagine like women all the time are constantly concerned about their safety and to be a black woman you're both seen as a threat and as prey <laughs> so <laughs> so it's it's just imagine like uh, so i'm like so every woman woman listening i would say for you to to imagine being a black man all you have to do is say the fear that you have all the time like black men have that too it's different, but it's also in a lot of ways the same. It's it's not never it's never the fear of being um, overtaken without us being able to, to defend ourselves as much as being um, overpowered. You know, being overpowered because people think that we are more threatening than others, or them using excessive force because they think that we are a threat. So it's, it's the same. It, 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 in a lot of ways, it feels exactly the same. That whole, my head's always on the swivel. I'm always looking around. I'm always wondering what's happening. I'm wondering how people are taking me. If I'm walking at night and there's a, a white woman around, I'll make a lot of noise so that they know that I'm seeing and that I'm like about to walk that way. Um, I don't, I won't, I don't even ride elevators with white women anymore uh, because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'll take the next one. You wow. know, it's, I don't know. It's there's there's just a lot of stuff that I'm just like I'm not I'm not comfortable. I don't mean I'm not a big fan of cops either. Like uh, you know they're fine. I have friends who are cops, but at, at the same time I'm just I don't know. Even my friends who are cops, I'm like why just be something else. Like choose a different profession. You know. know. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel you. And like that last point that you made, especially about just having like the all the decisions that you have to make in order to avoid you know conflict and the fact like it's just the the privilege comes from not having to even think about those choices that other people have to make in order to avoid conflict. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. I, I don't know why I have always, 
I feel like it's the same way. Again, I'll go back to women. Women have told me like they try not to look at any look at any dudes in the eye because they don't want them to take it as an invitation. And I feel like uh, like in a lot of ways, I feel like I try to look people in the eye so they know I have nothing to hide. You know, so mm-hmm. it's it just feels like a dance all the time, like a dance in which if you if you make the wrong move, you'll die. It's yeah. it's like that guy. I think his name was Lonnie Shaver. The um the white guy in Ve- in Vegas, I believe, who was he was in a hotel room, and the cops called him out because they they got a message that him and a woman were in there doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. Don't know what it was. They come out of the room, and the cops are have AR-15s trained on them, and they say, "Hey, you need to listen to my exact instructions. If you don't, I'm going to light you up." So, imagine feeling like that. Almost all the time, or a ver- and it, maybe it's not that intense a version. And I mean, just fast forward to the end of the Lonnie Shaver story, he ends up going to pull up his pants and is shot to death and killed. Wow. And they said because they thought he was reaching for his uh, his waistband. Now Lonnie Sha- Shaver was a white guy, and he this a white cop that shot him. So you looked at this man, and you said you're a threat. You reaching for your waist is a threat. So I'm like, just imagine that's black men all the time. So everyone around us feels like they're on their guard. I'm not allowed my authentic feelings. I'm not allowed to be angry. I'm not allowed to yell. I've had people call me aggressive just because I'm I'm talking louder or because I talk animatedly, you know. There's okay. just stuff that people say in general when it comes to black men. Oh man, you're a lot. Oh, Ronald's a lot. I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I mean, this is who I am, you know? So it just it it, it there's just a lot that it feels like you have to balance as a black person, but especially as a, I mean, and no, just as a black person, like there's even saying like, I understand that black women, uh, trans women, trans men, black men, like everybody's under threat. There's no, (laughs) there's no, uh, there's no get. And it went specifically in the trans community. I mean, black trans men and women, like, I mean, like there's no, there's no escaping people looking at us as a threat and a victim at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, a threat and prey. So both predator and prey. Predator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a good point to um, bring up inter, like being a minority, like in general, like a woman as um, I guess a mirror to what it's like to be a black man. Like think about like how you feel in those, how you would feel in that situation. And like, except for you're on the other side of that and you're trying not to be the perpetrator. Um, But I think that intersectionality is something that we really just started talking about. And it seems to be honestly a point of conflict for a lot of like, at least black men on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, my friend, me and him had a discussion yesterday about... uh, So I think black men are, are have an opportunity to be great. We always have an opportunity to be great. And I think black women have done a lot to help black men. And I think about that every day, like how much black women try to help black men. And I try to do the same for black women. I try to think about like what they're going through, even though there's 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 times where I've had conflict with uh, black women, just like I have conflict with everyone else. Uh, and I, I don't always see eye to eye with black women, just like I don't always see eye to eye with everyone else. Uh, but I feel like there's, I've had 
instances in which I like when I see a conflict with a black woman, I make sure that I'm that whatever I'm in conflict about, I'm not am I doing something to marginalize this person? Am I doing something to make them feel worse? Is there something that I did? Am I perceiving them incorrectly? You know what I mean? And I feel like I have the advantage of growing up with a sister and a mom, uh, of course, like, and you know, like many people, but I feel like I've, I've, I've seen them be um, translated incorrectly, misconstrued what their, their actions misconstrued. And I feel like I try to, as much as possible, not be the guy that's doing the misconstruing, if you will. <laughs> so uh, I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And it's hard though. I think that like a lot of times when you get into like disagreements and stuff, it's, you're always trying to look at yourself and be like, okay, so what did I do wrong? Like, yeah. did I, like you're saying like perceive them incorrectly. And I feel like that's tough. <laughs> That's yeah. tough. I feel, especially for me, because I feel like a lot of times, once I've gotten to a point where I'm angry, I feel so justified because I feel like it takes a lot to get me angry. But yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like, but I, I feel like the grace that I try to give, I just feel like it, it, somebody told me once that you have to consider the power dynamic in every conversation that you ever have, and I feel like I took that very seriously, and I thought, okay. So when I'm talking to somebody and I have a lot more privilege or more privilege than they do, I need to consider that in whatever I'm doing next. And I need to provide an offsetting amount of grace for whatever comes next. Now, there's a lot of times where privilege doesn't matter when someone's being like completely disrespectful to you, when someone's putting their hands on you, all of that. But in in conversations that I'm having with folks, I have to consider like the level of power that I have in the conversations that we're having. And I think that adjusts how I speak to them. Now, with that being said, if we all did that, the world would be a better place. But it really sucks when one person is doing that and another person is not. It, it makes for a very one-sided experience. Yeah, it's we always, I think we always end up going back to the golden rule, you know, treat others as you would have them treat you. But we never actually make it like full circle with that one. <laughs> no, we never do. We always look at it with regard to how we personally feel, but we don't ever, we don't ever, because um, we looked that back to us and we were like, well, I wouldn't want to feel that way. But you're like, yeah, but you don't want them to feel that way. That's what you should really always be saying. Like treat the golden rule as if you're always just applying it to the other person and not to yourself saying, mm -hmm. I want them to be okay. And it's okay if it doesn't come back to me, but maybe I'll treat them well and they'll treat someone else well, and then they'll treat someone else well, and it'll just keep going like that. And that's that should be good enough. I did, don't think I finished saying something earlier though. You mentioned something about uh, intersectionality and black men. And I feel like, was this alluding to the, uh, to the whole um, debate between J. Cole and No Name? I was actually, yes, just about to bring that up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, I'm fully team no name. I listened to the rap and I heard what, uh, what J Cole said and I watched what happened on Twitter. And if you actually go on Twitter, me and my friend Nigel had a discussion about it and we didn't agree at first. Cause I was like, I don't think I'm like, you don't deserve this platform if you don't use it correctly as a black man. And what bothers me is I'm like, you are a black man and you chose to in a public forum, tear down a black woman. 
And I know everyone's like, well, she came at him first. Power dynamic. You have more privilege than she does. So if she came at you, the effect on you is going to be way less than the effect that you have on her. And now we've now opened up Twitter where there's a war between black men and black women taking sides uh, on your behalf based on your words that you said. And then you had to come out and clean up the language. And you might need to tell your listeners what we're actually talking about. But J. Cole had to come out and clean up the the uh, clean up this mess saying, I stand by everything I said, but also, you know, support no name and support, you know, follow her. She's a leader and all that stuff. I'm like, then why are you taking shots at her? Like, what do you like? That's not what you do right now. Like you it just it, it, it comes off like so hypocritical. And I just think as black men, we need to consider and protect black women as much as they do the same for us. Like there's black women that like uh, this one woman pointed this out. She was like, like, uh, we out here making hashtags for black men who don't give a F about us. Like black men who have died at the hands of police that don't give a F about black women. You know what I mean? So I'm like, that's, that's powerful to still say, I know that this black man doesn't care about me, but I'm still going to hashtag for him. I'm still going to march for him. I'm still going to like, uh, try to get, uh, try to avenge his death, you know? So I'm like, we we got we have to do the same for black women. We have to. Yeah. And I think that there's a certain like women understand that like I guess black men are are more of a target, but like they're also first. And that is the conversation that everybody's having now is that like um a lot of people have this idea of being black first, but we don't get the choice of like either being black or being a woman or being trans or gay or whatever. You know, we just get the choice like we don't even get the choice of being black, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> at that point. Yeah, I think um, it's, I think, you know, my friend said it best on Twitter and I, I'll probably find it after this conversation, but he basically, he made a comment where actually let me find it. And I want to read it to you because okay. I think he said it best and I don't want to, um, I don't want to butcher his words. Okay. Well, I'll just, um, I guess talk about like, I, I have was actually have I have it right now. <laughs> he, said, he said, uh, checking your privilege as a black man is like playing three, three dimensional chess. You get spit on every day by everyone, but then have to realize you still, you're still in a patriarchal society and have more privilege than black women. Then he said, uh, uh, yeah, that's basically it. Then he kind of went specifically into the incident between J Cole and no name, but I'm like, yeah, that's the thing. Like as a, as a black man, we have to check our privilege as well and say, what is it that we're doing or what could we be doing in order to be more supportive of black women? Mm -hmm. And I think that a thing that cis black women have to do is check themselves too, because there's a lot of homophobia and transphobia inside our community also. So it's just like constantly like just checking ourselves. And we actually talked about this on um, the last episode that we did where you were saying that like, um, I forget how you worded it, but like the there the issues in the black community, like they're in some way or form, you can always like trace them back to the church. It was something like that. Those weren't your exact words. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of ways you can tra- trace them back to, you know, Judeo Christian values, a moralistic society, and everybody, um, everybody looking at uh, the Bible and morality as the complete center of what it is to be like a, a, a black person, you know, 
and and everybody most nearly every black person you know has some connection to the church if it's not direct then it's indirect but in some ways we're all connected uh to the church so you can see those issues like the patriarchal nature of the church trickles out into what a man should be what a man should do even when a man quote man should cry you know what i mean so all of that like continues to like kind of roll around and play into it, play into itself. And we just have to do a better job of, of, of uh, trying to just look out for each other and be compassionate and kind, because it's like, we ignore those passages of the Bible where it asks us to be compassionate and kind to one another, no matter. And it doesn't, it doesn't say there's no stipulation for being compassionate and being kind. There's no stipulation. You're just supposed to be kind to one another. Yeah. That is one thing that I've been kind of like, adding to my mantra list is be give people more grace than you think that they deserve. Yes, absolutely. So do you feel like these conversations, like having them on Twitter is helpful or do you feel like it creates more of a divide? He should have called her. Are we talking about them personally or? Um, uh, I was just talking about like in general, just between people. But like, I think that you're right in like the J. Cole no-name situation. He definitely like, y'all, like there's no way that you couldn't have like just reached out to her. But also yeah. like, I don't know. It's it's messy. <laughs> I think in general, like there's some stuff where maybe it's easier to, I think like to have a wide conversation and hashtag and all that stuff. I think there's a lot of ways that social media makes it easier for us to connect. And I, I get that. I'm, I use a lot of social media. I wouldn't have some of the following I have without my use of social media and without the existence of social media. So I'm not one to knock it at all, but come on, man. Like, a phone call, a text, uh, in-person drop-in, something. And especially in this world we live in now, like where the idea of personal communication is such a valued commodity where, you know, being able to walk up to someone and talk to them isn't as easy as it used to be. So why wouldn't you want to, uh, like, maximize those opportunities when you have them? And I feel like we're not doing that right now we're still yelling at each other via comment sections and thinking that that's an effective way to affect change in one another and to have a conversation for me it's like if i'm gonna comment on something it's like i'll like give my first opinion but like if you're still not understanding me a lot of times i'll just go to your dms like okay like so like what do you actually mean because like we don't have to be on a stage for this we can just talk like we can actually like sit down and understand like where we actually disagree and not have to like be public and like because I feel like especially when like you know that you're public you start to get just more combative just because like you're being embarrassed yeah I I think there's I think there's a time and place for both like if I don't know you we're going public uh if I know you um it's less chance we go public but I feel like the reason why I always go at people in their comments or the reason why I have is because someone pointed out to me that those discussions are not just for you. They're for everyone watching as well, because there's going to be a ton of people who are looking at this conversation and agreeing or disagreeing in their head. And you have to be able to, you have to be able to say things uh, or, or check the stuff that people are saying so that everyone knows, because there's a lot of times somebody will post something. It'll be like a preacher or a pastor or something that'll post something and it'll just go unchecked. Nobody will challenge it at all. And I'll be like, uh, no, you know what I mean? And, and cite some sources. And I'm like, you don't know how many people needed you to say that in order in order for them to not feel, you know, feel less about themselves or feel, uh, you know, terrible about whatever it is that this person just said. So I, I don't think that's something that people consider. 
what like going like personally talking to someone or just that that when we're having these discussions you're not just talking to one person you're talking to everyone that can read it yeah yeah that's true and i think the one thing that gets on my issue about like specifically twitter because that's like where i spend most of my time on social media um is that i feel like there's always two-sided arguments and there's not enough room in the middle and then when certain conversations tend to come up again you have to be even stronger on that same like one-sidedness like there's no spectrum anymore it's like you either have to be and like there are some things like you really do have to either be about or you're completely against it but certain things is just like we could like have more difference of opinions yeah, I think Trevor Noah described that as nuance. Um, and he said, <laughs> he was like, there's not enough nuance in any of these conversations. Everybody wants to be all one or one, all the other. But that being said, like, I just don't think everything, I remember when it came to me that, do you know what the organization NAMBLA is? I do not. It's the North American Man-Boy Love Alliance. What and it's mean? exactly what it sounds like. It's a pedophile organization oh, wow. and they exist because they're trying to get people to, they're trying to get people to normalize uh, sexual relationships between grown men and, and young children. And the reason why I'm, I'm bringing that up is because I remember one day I had an epiphany and I was like, NAMBLA would not exist if people didn't assume that every, every conversation had two sides. And I said that to say like, come on, man, there's no other side to, don't sleep with kids. Like, right. don't sleep with kids. Like that, no, don't do it. It's going to mess them up. Can't do it. No, don't do it. This is a no. And then there's there's always somebody that's like, well, what if? And it's like, no, shoot that guy. No, no, they're not. There's no two sides. And I think we got to a place sometime after 2008 where people just started deciding that, yeah, there are two sides. Like, especially in the information age, when when people started say, thinking that there's two sides to racism, <laughs> like I'm like wait what I mean after Charlottesville when the president actually said there was nastiness on both sides I'm like no we beat racists up if you're going to be open about it I get to punch you that's just that's it everyone talking about a civil conversation I mean no we're not having that but yes there's plenty of other discussions that deserve nuance and get none get none like even arguments like defund the police or abolish the police I, i'm like okay people don't see the nuance in defund the police but everyone assumes when people said defund the police somebody else came and said yeah that's right defund them abolish them it's like no 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 <laughs> those are two different things uh one of those is moving funds from the police to other services that would be helpful for public safety the other of those is anarchy and some people would argue for that and i I don't know how that would work. I can't sit here on this show and say, I know how an abolish the police system would look. But I'm saying to say that conversation about law enforcement doesn't deserve nuance. I mean, yeah, it deserves nuance. It 100% does. But so does a discretion. And so does our black people a threat. And so like all of those things. And so like the three strikes law, there's so many things that deserve a nuanced look that aren't getting one. So that's why you get people chanting defund the police and then no abolish the police because there's no nuance when it comes to looking at us so why should we give anyone when it comes to looking at you yeah yeah how do you feel about the um defund the police whole situation i mean like obviously i think that i know exactly what side you're on but i guess what do you think needs to be done first next 
I think my friend or my friend uh, Michael Jefferson, aka Mass Potential. You can follow him on Twitter at Mass Potential. He tweeted a thread the other day that was called "Defund the Security Department," and he he called it. It was an analogy of a failed shopping center, in which he talked about how, let's say you had a million dollars. He said you had a million dollars budgeted to give all of your organizations. So you give $100,000 to marketing, $100,000 to sales, $100,000 to, uh, to uh, I don't know, um, operations. And you give the rest of it to the security department. <laughs> he says, your T-shirts are, are not fully done. You, no one knows that they're on sale. They're in the wrong size. All that stuff's going on. But your, your security department, anytime you need something done, like, hey, we need new shirts or we need new, a new slogan for the marketing department, you guys call the security department. And all the security department does is escort everybody out of the store. And they're like, wait, we need y'all to actually do stuff. And they're like, well, we don't have the training for that. We're only trained to escort people out of the store. Then why do you have $9.X million of the budget? Like, if you can't do all the things we need you to do, why are we giving you so much of the money? And why do y'all have so many things you don't need? Y'all got, like, y'all riding around with extra flashlights and y'all got sedways up in here. You got a tank in the parking lot. Like, why do you need all that? And I feel like that was a perfect illustration for defunding the police department because we're saying we are asking the police to do so much beyond what we actually need them to do. And... I don't think, I think we really need to think of public safety in a way that asks what the people need, what can we address, and and what resources do we need to make sure we can address their needs? And is that mental health? Like there was an example the other day, I had a friend of mine who's, uh, I had a friend of mine who, um, and I, you know what? I'm just going to change everything about this story because I don't want them to get in trouble. So I had a friend of mine whose mother got them uh, arrested. They were at the house. They had some sort of altercation. The friend of mine's mother called the cops and got their child arrested. The cops show up. The mother shows them a video of the of my friend being drunk or looking menacing or threatening. And so they arrested my friend. So here's the thing. The mother is uh, is very is she suffers from mental illness, which means that she's always at odds with uh, her child for whatever reason, and it, it has to do with the the mental illness and the and um, what she's working out. You know what I mean? It it has all to do with her mental illness. It has nothing to do with anything else but her mental illness. So imagine if she would have called an emergency line, and instead of police showing up, social workers would have showed up. Like no one would have needed to be arrested because this wasn't a situation in which anyone needed to be arrested. Someone needed help. Yes, but no one needed to be arrested. There was that other guy. And I know I'm getting along with him. But I'm, I'm going to shut down here. There was another guy where um, he's in Fairfax County where this guy's walking around and he's clearly having mental. He's having issues with his mental illness. And or and, and even if it wasn't mental illness, let's say even if he was strung out on drugs. You don't need the cops for that. True. You do not. You need someone to help these people. And that's what, when I say defund the police, I'm saying get the people who can help with those things. Maybe send a cop for actual security. Like in case this gets out of hand, here's a person with a gun, you know? But other than that, 
We don't need you in here talking people down. You're not trained for this. You didn't sign up for this. You didn't get like an associate's degree to come out here and be a, a, and be a mental health expert for anyone. So maybe yeah. we stop asking them to do that. Yeah, I was just saying like you got six weeks of training. I think that's like the average like police academy is like six weeks of training basically. Absolutely. To get to the get to the job. Yeah. So it's like what which part of that six week is mental health? What is that like a week? Even if it's a week, like how long are um counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists going to school Definitely for their degrees? Six years, you know, like you have to have your masters, I think. Yeah. Yeah. In some cases you have to have a PhD. So it's like, what what are you doing, Mr. Guy with a gun? And that's um an interesting thing that someone brought up on Twitter is the fact that like, well, like should cops carry guns, but also the fact that our police like their presence is to control us, but we also have a military that controls the world, which is like weird. It's like, why is our military so like, you know, like why are their hands in so many different pots, which is a completely different issue. But still it's like, why is, why is, why do we have both? I guess. I mean, it's, I think America, you know, when I was in college, my friend said to me, she said, there was a friend of mine, we had a mutual friend who was always concerned that his girlfriend was cheating on him. And he was always concerned about that because he had a wandering eye and was not above cheating on his girlfriend. And so she said to me, she said, well, he knows what he's capable of. So it's, it's easy for him to be suspicious of what she's doing. And I was like, that's unfortunately sad. And I think it's true. And I think America is perpetually concerned that a country is going to do to them what we have done to everyone. And I think that's why it's important for us to have a strong military in case anybody comes like anybody comes a knocking, anybody comes like ready to, you know, ready to strap up or, 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 or run up on us, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think that's why we do that. So, and, and if you think about it, we treat our military like the world police. We treat them the same way we treat our cops. We treat, we send them in there to uh, resolve conflicts that have nothing to do with us, uh, that we just have an interest in, you know, like, oh, we, well, we want to get this oil. So y'all need to get out of here, you know, or, and that's, that's kind of how this country was established. So if you want to keep that dominance, you have to keep going that way. And even if you think you want that, that's why you see people that say, well, America now has to lead the world into like peace into like a peaceful time, into like a new way where we're working together in unity and people hate that. They're like, no, no, screw that. We're in charge. America first, America forever, America, America, you know? And I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to stop doing that when you've been forceful for so long. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It creates like a vacuum, I guess, a power vacuum. If you just pull out. Absolutely. Well, and see, no, I think, I think that's what they think, but I think in this case, it's like, if America were to chill out, I think there's a lot of people you'd find that don't have the firepower to actually uh, uh, execute any type of judgment on America. So that being said, I'm not just talking about like pulling out of the Middle East and pulling out of these places that you were conflict in, but I'm saying like approaching everything differently and stop approaching every issue as if it's a nail that needs to be hammered, you know, like be the tool that you need to be to actually be helpful to everyone. And maybe you would, you would see a different result. And that's the same thing that we could take in our, you know, domestic uh, law enforcement as well. 
Yeah. Um, so I guess we're, we're almost at an hour right now. So I guess um, we could wrap this up. Uh, All right. So, bye. <laughs> um, um, sorry, a little distracted. But, um, no worries. So, yeah, the last question that I have for you or just the last thing I want to mention is if you have anything else that you want to mention, talk about or any questions that you have for me. Um, what are your plans for when you get out of when when things get back to whatever the new normal is? What are your plans? Um, I want to travel, but I feel like that's asking for a lot. <laughs> like, you know, we can barely go to restaurants right now. So I think that like a year from now, we probably won't be traveling still. Um, but you never know. So I think that like that would be like the number one thing that I want to do. But other than that, it's honestly just go to the gym, go to a restaurant, <laughs> do the simple things that I used to do. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that gyms are opening back up in Maryland and it's so tempting, but it's also just like, just wait two weeks after at least. <laughs> well, if you wait two weeks, they'll be closed again. So uh, you like everything that's opening now will be closed in July. Mark my words. I don't know when this is coming out, I hope it comes out in July. So I look even I look even more. Okay, great. So I look even more smart. Like, so by now you should have noticed that everything that's open is now closed again uh, because the numbers are, are creeping back up. Uh, so now's not the time to go do what you, what you think you want to do. Uh, and especially what we need to be doing is make sure we're prepared for fall because as it gets colder and people are stuck more inside doing things, instead of being able to go outside and hang out with friends and all that stuff, uh, it's going to be more difficult to avoid uh, droplets, which is what what is the main spreader of COVID. So mm-hmm. be careful and get those push-ups in the house if you can. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about dr- buying a home gym or something. Like just, I don't know, something. But... Not a bad idea. I've been looking at a Peloton for a long time. Everybody's into that. And I'm just like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a cardio person. So, and like, if I'm doing, if I'm going to do cardio, I feel like running is like the best, like it works the most muscle for the amount of cardio that you're doing. Like it's closer to my goals as far as working out. So. Yeah. um, Agreed. Yeah. But I have heard those are very popular, especially now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now's the time. I mean, to feel like you're connecting with folks and to feel like you're getting uh, a super intense cardio workout. Well, you can, like, hang out with your friends on Peloton bikes? Yeah, you can, like, hang out and, like, see each other. And uh, Well, I think you could see each other. I'm not sure. Um, But I know they can can certainly see you when you're riding. So I think there's a lot of pluses to it, but it's also, like, a a bit of a commitment. It's a $2,000 bike. So if you're going to do it, like, you really got to do it every day, maybe twice a day to get get your money's worth. It's $2,000. Did you hear me? It's $2,000. Yeah, that's insane. Like I didn't that's... know that they were that expensive. Now, if you okay, so let's let's do the math on that real quick. I bust out my calculator. So let's say two thousand one hundred dollars divided by twelve. That's one hundred and seventy-five dollars a month for uh, if you look at a gym membership. It really starts to become worth it if you keep it and you you ride it every day for two years. At that point, then you divide by twenty-four months. It's only eighty-seven dollars, eighty-seven fifty. Mm-hmm. Month, Some people which is, do actually pay for gym memberships. Yeah, and and see that's a, what. Say that again. 
I said, which some people actually do pay for gym memberships. Yeah, if you're going to Vita Fitness yeah. or one of those, like, and those the Vita Fitness isn't even for people who want to work out. That's for people who want to be pretty with each other. <laughs> yeah, I go to Planet Fitness, like $10 a month. That's all I need. I just need free weights and a cardio machine that's indoors. <laughs> yeah, you, the thing is you can't even grunt at Planet Fitness. They're like, yo, don't be grunting in here. And I'm like, Doug, what if it's really heavy? Like sometimes you grunt. Like Right. Um, but yeah, do you have any other questions? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Cool. Okay, well, I guess we can wrap this up. Thank you um, for your time today. And um, good luck with the rest of quarantine, whenever yeah, that planning on ending. I'll um, be here. <laughs> but do you have any social media that you'd like to plug? Oh uh, yeah, you can follow me on Oh It's Big Ron. That's at O H I T S B I G R O N, and you can follow that on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can also fo- follow me uh, the my Oh It's Big Ron Studios on Instagram. That's at O H O It's Big Ron, and then just the word Studios afterwards. And yeah, be on the lookout uh, if you like podcasts please subscribe to time well spent and leaving the theater leaving the theater i'm still reviewing stuff that we're even streaming right now so i'm calling it leaving the theater but on the couch edition so i'm reviewing the stuff that you're watching at home so check that out check that out as well and also check out the new podcast that i'm producing uh isolation be like which is a podcast by my friend phil branch and um, he kind of talks a little bit about his life uh as an introvert in isolation what that's like it's very funny very poignant check it out again that's isolation be like cool thank you um you already mentioned projects but do you have anything else that you want to mention i just want to make sure that you have Uh, i think i covered just about everything but yeah follow me subscribe like all that stuff at oh it's big ron cool um all right again thank you for your time um if you guys would like to follow the podcast, you can do that at NTMY Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, or just something that you want to share, then you can send those emails to NTMYPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next week.